So, hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Uh, it's been a little bit because As. we've been on vacations and um, you've been doing wedding stuff and we have been very, very busy. And I feel like we haven't done this thing, this podcast thing, in what feels like ages. Eons, even. <laughs> um so we kind of we took a little kind of unscheduled summer vacation, I guess you could say, because it was like we just realized that we were like, oh, shit, well, we can't do this week because you're doing the thing. And then well, we can't do next week because I'm doing the other thing. And, and now here we are um, and we have plenty to talk about because this past weekend was Comic Con, which is, I learned, still a thing. Um, so there's lots of kind of news and uh, reaction type stuff that we can get to shortly. But since it's been a while since the last time we talked, um, why don't we talk about what kind of stuff you have been checking out since the last time we talked? Yeah. Uh, so since the last time we talked, I haven't seen too much, but I'll just do a quick rundown. I did see uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, of course, which you did not see, correct? Correct. Uh, it was it was good. I uh, I liked it. I don't have to go into a full run down here. Maybe when you see it, eventually we can talk about it. But um, it, it was good. It's you know it was a nice little romp. I liked sort of the style of the movie. Had a nice little like three or four four way like you know everyone's vying for the MacGuffin and it's just you know lots of fun and uh, had some nice sort of not twists and turns but just things that were a little you know some of it followed the Marvel formula you know very strictly you know it's funny etc. Uh, partially pretty reliant on just the fact that Paul Rudd, you know, is a comedic delivery genius. <laughs> a funny boy. But really, he's he takes a back seat in the movie, which is which is good. And the whole thing was just was just pretty decent, I thought. And uh, of course, a great uh, after credits scene that really sets us up for moving forward. Um, so that was good. I'm still reading the Scar. Yeah. But I am I am almost done. I am like ninety percent. So uh, what I've learned so far. Is that so, you know, Greg, in our fictional lives, we visited a lot of worlds and planets and continents, you know, Middle Earth and Westeros and all these places. But what I have learned is that if there was one place I would not want to live, if I had an option, <laughs> it is definitely Boss Lag. <laughs> yeah, it seems like kind of a um, kind of a rough scene. Well, I just feel like it's one of those things where you just never know what the hell's going to happen. It's like you could just be walking down the street and then like some interdimensional rift could occur and then you're just eaten by Grindylow or killed by a vampire or by a robot or who, who gods knows what. It, anything could happen <laughs> at any point. The Just the sheer uncertainty would kill you. At least in Game of Thrones, I just know, hey, I'll just stay away from those guys and those guys and I'll probably be OK. But. Yeah, so, but it's it's cool. Um, I've also learned not to uh, not to get on the wrong side of a pirate vampire. I mean, that kind of seems like that would go without saying. You'd think, but yeah. So anyway, it's uh stuff's getting stuff's getting real real quick. So I'm I'm eager to see how this wraps up. Once again, I feel as if the first twenty thirty percent of this book could have been maybe not cut, but reworked a little bit and sprinkled throughout the story. Uh, kind of comes in bursts and then. You know, I don't know, but it's kind of the same way I felt with Perdido Street Station. And I think that, you know, because so far now you've read two China Mutual books. And I think that that is that's kind of his way is he spends a lot of time up front, really just with kind of slow character moments before he really gets into the meat of the plot. 
Um, and that that's pretty typical. It's like he does so much world building up front and character building. And then it's almost in some cases, the first half is all that set up and um, scenery. And then we finally get into the plot a little bit later. And I do think that if there's something he could do better as a writer, it would be that like, you know, get the plot kicked off a little bit earlier and find ways to, you know, introduce me to the characters in the world as the plot progresses. Um, cause thinking about his other stuff, it does tend to suffer from, from that as well. I feel like, uh, were I not a more mature reader, it would be very easy to, I can imagine a lot of people starting these books and not, not continuing them, which is, which is sad because they're really different and interesting. Um, so, but we'll see. I'm not sure if I'm going to move on to Iron Council when I'm done or, uh, maybe take another short break. I feel like sometimes these books might need some, some time between one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I do like the references to Purdue Street Station in this. It's not heavy or anything, but the connection there and some of the discussion, you know, just acknowledging that it happened is interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, I also watched another movie I watched the other day with Shay. We watched, uh, you know, you know, HBO made a Fahrenheit 451 movie. I was aware of that. Michael B. Jordan and uh, the guy who played Zod in Superman. Ooh, yeah. What is that dude's uh, name? Michael Shannon. That's the one. Yeah. Michael Shannon. Yeah. So, um, it's not a great movie. <laughs> I don't think I would even call it a good movie. I would say it's an okay movie at best. Uh, it had some interesting ideas. I never read the book actually. Shay is a big fan, uh, being an English teacher and all that, but, um, I've heard it's quite good. I plan to read it at some point. Uh, so she said it sort of took, it adapted it loosely and also modernized it a little bit and kind of dealt with this whole thing called like the internet and stuff that wasn't really a thing in this other dystopian future. So, uh, interesting ideas. Execution was meh. So <laughs> maybe, maybe pass on that one. Um, I didn't know HBO was making movies themselves though, which is kind of interesting, especially with oh, yeah. two fairly big, uh, Big actors in it. Um, I think this is probably their one of their first real forays into what we might call a genre movie. Um, HBO has has made movies in the past, but typically what they've done is, um, I want to say like historical reenactment, although that's not right. Um, they've done some like they did uh, Game Change, which was about uh, the John McCain, Sarah Palin ticket, and uh, they had. Julianne Moore as Sarah Palin and Woody Harrelson as the campaign manager. I believe there was a HBO movie about Joe Paterno. There was an HBO movie about Dr. Kevorkian. Um, so that would, that's kind of been their wheelhouse in terms of films mm-hmm. so far. But this one, you know, off the top of my head is probably their first real genre flick. Yeah. Uh, I think with some time and maybe making it into like a mini series or something, it could have been a little bit better, but, uh, it just was kind of pace weird and just a lot of little things, but yeah, it was fine. It was fine. So I also want to briefly mention while we're on the idea of HBO, we wa- I watched the first episode of Silicon Valley last night, just looking around for a new comedy to watch instead of rewatching the same things a million times. Um, have you ever watched that before? Uh, I've bounced off it two or three times. Okay. Um, the first episode seemed okay. I, I like the meta commentary of what they're sort of like making fun of, but I find the main character, I don't even know his name, either the actor or the main character, but like the main skinny guy is just like way too awkward and just yeah. like to the point of like, I can't even understand what you're saying because you're just mumbling every line you give. So maybe that, maybe that corrects itself with time, but I've heard it's a very funny show. I don't know. Moving on, I 
basically binged Jessica Jones season two this weekend. Was it any good? Uh, I liked it. I think that once again, if it would have been eight episodes, 10 episodes, I would have been a lot happier with it. Uh, I think that it, at, you know, it's kind of those things where I feel like these, these Netflix shows always sort of give me this like false start where I'm like, Ooh, we're, we're like getting into the, the end of the show now. It's like really ramping up and it's like, Oh, it's episode eight. Okay. Well, I guess we're just going to sit around and Twitter our thumbs for a while. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, I, I did like it. I think that it's interesting. I think that it is very, they kind of leaned into some of the noir stuff a little bit, sometimes a little heavy handed at points, but. I don't remember if that was the same way in the last uh, season. I also just think it doesn't really have, like, a villain, per se. Hmm. I mean, kind of, but, like, it's definitely not. You're just, I think you're never going to be able to top the magic that was Tenet's Killgrave because it was just really helped push that show from being just okay to, like, really good, I yeah. think. So then I um I watched the first, as moving on, I watched the first episode of Luke Cage season two, which I've heard positive things about. So the first episode didn't grab me, but... Uh, I'll obviously stick with that. We finished the second season of Handmaid's Tale, Ooh. which was, uh, I mean, pretty damn depressing, as you uh, have have heard, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but once again, really, 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 really good. Can't recommend it enough. Just, you know, be careful. Yeah, that's the reason I, I, I honestly I couldn't finish the first season. It's just too uh, it is just a difficult watch. Yeah, it is not pleasant or easy. Um it does end on a little bit of a hopeful note this season, which was good. Uh, it definitely, I, I wonder sometimes, is it starting to cross the line of, I don't know what you'd call it, but just trying to one-up itself in depressive, depression, depressiveness, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, or like if that's it's just, their brand now. Right, or if it's just like, it just happens to be that way, because I don't think you should ever shoot for that necessarily, but it's still really good. I think the characters on it are awesome. I think that the way they, once again, not really villains or evil people i mean i guess that's the eye of the beholder but every character even the ones that you're you're not supposed to like are sort of like sufficiently complex you're just like i don't really know i mean that was kind of nice oh, okay that was gross okay but like uh, you know you're kind of just always being pulled in different directions even for some of the protagonists you're like oh i, I wouldn't have done that like that was that was messed up so i don't know it, it's good in that way i think it has really good complex characters and some of the world building that's going on is interesting. So lastly, I have been in the hunt for some new video games because I've been kind of in a rut and a good friend of mine who we said we've always played online games together, uh, finally built a new computer. So we we're trying to find a game to play. So we started playing a little bit of this game called War Thunder, which is like the most generic name for a game you can possibly <laughs> imagine. Yeah. But it's like it's an online, you know, free to play kind of one of those kind of games. But it's like it started off as like playing combat, like fighter fighters plane fighters aircraft mm-hmm. uh like historical ones like from world war ii you know cold war era dog fighting over things and then i think they added like basically a whole separate game inside the game which is like tanks uh i haven't played the tank section yet just the aircraft thing but the game is, it seems pretty complex there's a lot going on on the screen in the menus and stuff that i'm not really paying attention to i'm just sort of just like hopping into the game and playing but if you like dog fighting it's pretty fun Hmm. Uh, we played it just for a couple hours and like, I already had some couple, like that was a really cool moment. Like, you know, swerving in and out of mountains and someone's chasing you and you, you tail them the right way. And you know, they crash into the mountain or something like that. Some of that movie. So Hmm. it's kind of fun. I don't know if I'll stick with it, but I just figured I'd toss it out there for something that I'm playing. How about you, Greg? Yeah. So I, I think I'll start with, I'll start with this one. 
because I actually saw this on Father's Day, which really illustrates how long it's been since we talked. Jesus. Um, But I saw on Father's Day, I saw Hereditary, um, which I don't think is in theaters anymore. But I was I was kind of interested in this movie because it had a lot of buzz of like, you know, a like a horror movie for people that like horror movies Um, had a lot of that buzz around it. And then I learned that um, Colin Stetson, who is a saxophonist who I absolutely adore, had done the score. And I was like, oh, well, I'm sealed. Um, and then it got to be Father's Day weekend. And Karen said, like, oh, it's, you know, Sunday is Father's Day. What do you want to do? And I was like, I know it sounds weird to, like, abandon my family for two hours. But, like, I think I just want to go to the movies. So I went to the movie and I, movies, and I saw this movie, Hereditary. And I don't want to spoil anything um, because I think it is a movie that um, you really need to go into it knowing um, spoilers really hurt this movie um, is what I'm saying. And uh, but I what I can say is that this is a movie that is <laughs> you should not watch on Father's Day. It is about family tragedy and it is woof. It hit me hard. Um, but I will say that this movie, Hereditary, is probably the best movie that I've seen in 2018. Um, I still think about it almost daily. It is not only a great horror film in, you know, in kind of the classical horror film tradition, but also just a great movie in addition to being a horror film in the way that it is a great movie that it really makes you feel things and think things. Um, and it's beautifully made and, um, uh, the director, his ability to, um, play with your expectations and lead you exactly where he wants you to go and then change directions on you is so, so, so good. Um, so I saw that movie, uh, it's an ookie spooker, so I don't know if you're going to enjoy it, but, oh, um, man, uh, it is excellent. Well, um, I'm sad I can't see such a good movie, so I'll have nightmares for a million years. Yeah, you might. This one, this one is rough. And there have been a lot of movies. Uh, the Babadook comes to mind, where it's a movie that finds horror in family tragedy and the way that we deal with grief and all those things. But this one is so much more visceral, and oh boy, there are some gut punches in this movie. But I, I, I can't speak. I can't speak too highly of it. It's it's phenomenal. I still have an outstanding uh, assignment to watch The Babadook, don't I? You told me to do that, like, Did I? months ago. Yeah, you should watch The Babadook, or you could watch It Follows. Those are both good horror movies that are, like, have something to say, in addition to just being good ookie spookers, but... Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, so, Hereditary. Um, I also read uh, The Three-Body Problem, the sci-fi novel. Um I was looking for a break from all the fantasy that I've been reading, thanks to you. <laughs> um, and so I said, you know what? I'm in the mood for some hard sci-fi. Uh, this has a, a blurb, a pull quote from Obama on the front cover. So I'm like, he's a smart dude. And if he read a space space book, I'm sure it's good. Um, this is, for me, Three-Body Problem was a lot like Name of the Wind in that there are a lot of very smart people who I respect who say good things about this book, and I think they read a different version than I did because I did not enjoy the Three-Body Problem. Um, I think it has a lot of interesting ideas, both in just its general story and also some of its more, like, sci-fi ideas. Like, it's, you know, like, neat sciencey ideas to explore. Some of those are pretty interesting, but the way it's wrapped up is just incredibly predictable and trite and 
there's something about the dialogue that is incredibly stilted and unnatural. And I'm not sure if that is a result of just, you know, the old trope of sci-fi writers not knowing how human beings communicate. Um, or if it is a if it is an artifact of this book being translated from Chinese, in which case um, maybe there were some uh, choices made in how to translate it, maybe more or less directly from the original text. I know nothing about um, the Chinese language or about um, the way Chinese is spoken. So if when this is translated, um, it, the dialogue is much more natural in the original Japanese, maybe, but in the English, it's it was just uh, very painful to read. So um, three body problem. It's interesting. Um, it's a it's a relatively quick read, um, but I wouldn't put it in the great book category the way a lot of people have. Uh, also, on the reading front, I am so close to finishing. I'm like a couple chapters away, but right before we started recording was the book 14 by Peter Kleins. Uh, this was recommended to me by some uh, folks at the office. Um, and this is actually kind of a neat one. Um, it's not a perfect book. There are some some elements to the writing that I don't like. Um, sometimes it feels like it was written by a by a 14 year old um, because of some of the weird like sex jokes or dick jokes that are in it kind of out of nowhere and like feels like the author whenever he has a chance to make a like a sophomore dick joke he does um but it's a it's a little sci-fi it's a little horror i would say it's more sci-fi than horror a little mystery little thriller but essentially you've got a bunch of people living in a really weird apartment building in modern day Los Angeles and they're solving the mystery of this weird building and it's a lot of the typical kind of weird you know weird building tropes that you know you're familiar with like um, doors that are painted over and uh, locked shut or you know uh, um, there's no power lines leading into the building and the property manager is really weird and all those things Um, and it's just kind of a fun mystery Lovecraft adjacent kind of kind of thing. I'm nearly done with it. Not a life changing read, but um, it's pulpy and fun and really feels like it wants to be made into a um, into a TV series. It's just it has that kind of very um, uh, cinematic isn't the right word, but kind of telegenic, I guess, uh, writing style. So I, I guess I would recommend that one. 14, just the number 14 by Peter Kleins. And now I have two things left on my list and they're related. Um, the first thing is, uh, everybody's been talking about it. The season two just came out on Netflix, which is, uh, Glow starring Alison Brie and Mark Marin. Um, it is a fictionalized retelling of an actual television show from the eighties, uh, a women's pro wrestling show, um, that was called Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, um, this show basically takes the premise and runs with it, but it is just incredibly well done. Um, Alison Brie in it is fantastic. Mark Marin's really good in it. Um, and the first season I think is better than the second season, but it has something that I, I, I haven't seen in a lot of shows, and that is seeing characters earnestly giving a shit about something that isn't, you know, high stakes save the world stuff. It's just, you've got these dozen or so women and this director who are really just trying to make a good wrestling show and they care so much about it. And just watching people give a shit 
is kind of refreshing. Um, and another thing that it does very, very well is that most of the characters have no wrestling background. So they have to learn all the moves and they have to learn about pro wrestling as just an art form. Um, and, but it doesn't look like they use any stunt doubles. So you can really see the actresses, you know, the real world actresses kind of learning these things at the same pace as, um, the characters they're playing. So like when you see the look of joy on their face, when they finally land a particular move, they finally get it right. It feels so genuine. And you like, you're like really rooting for them just to like, you know, get better at their craft. And like, that's such a weird thing to watch. Um, and it's, it's just very refreshing and just like very positive and uplifting. Yeah. Shay's been, uh, she watched the first season, um, after some initial hesitation, cause she's just like wrestling. Why do I, why do I even care? But, uh, she seems to be enjoying it cause she's now watching the second season. I have watched maybe a total of three episodes put together from the first and second season. So this seemed cool. I, um, I really like Allison Brie. So, and I was, a I was a wrestling fan back in the day. So there's probably some of that that I would, uh, enjoy the squared circle as they say (laughs) um yeah so the last thing and this is kind of in the same vein um but i think it's time that i was finally honest with myself about something and honest with you and honest with everybody who's listening here and um i just i hope this is a safe safe space to say this but i think i like anime i thought we already knew that and i think that i think that like uh i've been hope trying to tell myself that like it's not the case and like all like the odd thing here or there but like i think the truth is i like enough anime to say like i like anime so i've been watching this anime show uh called my hero academia which is on hulu right now the first three seasons which i think is all that's available um and it's a very popular show right now this isn't like some underground thing um and it is a it's a shonen anime which means young man anime like it's like dragon ball um it's targeted at you know middle school aged and and younger dudes um and it's a very defined genre in japan so but it's kind of the equivalent of young adult so that also what is what makes this feel a little weird because it's like you know, this is for teenagers but um the premise is you have a world where almost everybody has a superpower um, of varying degrees of usefulness. Um, and you know, superheroes are a thing and they're a business and their villains are a thing and they're a business. And almost everybody's a superhuman, uh, except our protagonist who, you know, he's, you know, a 13, 14 year old boy. Uh, he doesn't have a superpower, but more than anything, he wants to become the greatest superhero. Um, even though he doesn't have a superpower, and he wants to get to the like premier superhero high school. Um, and so it takes place in, yeah, he gets in, of course, wouldn't be much of a show. He didn't, he gets in and, you know, it's all about him trying to prove himself and all of the, you know, the kind of typical, like an anime that takes place at a high school, it's going to be that kind of stuff. You know, they have to, oh no, it's, you know, the big tournament and they all have to compete against each other or who the, rival class has a big, you know, we've got to beat them. And those kinds of things are happening. But there's a charm about this show that's kind of undeniable. And again, it's that thing that you get. And this is where it's similar to Glow. Like you get this thing in a lot of 
anime and shonen anime and especially like these maybe more like school focused ones where like these kids care about like their high school and being the best and winning the prize and impressing their teacher and they care about it so much and it's just it's a refreshing thing to see in an otherwise very cynical media environment where um you know everything is very serious and um uh, everything's bullshit and the world sucks. Um, it's just refreshing to see uh, Glow or My Hero Academia where characters actually like care about something, um, you know, and want to do a good job um, and aren't always questioning the system. Um, and also the kind of the, the big hero that, you know, the, that the, the main character idolizes is named All Might. And he's this like, ridiculous, you know, super strong guy who wears a Superman type costume. He's basically the Superman analog, but he's got this weird America theme and all of his special moves um, (laughs) have the name of a state and then smash. So it's like Texas smash, Minnesota smash, Delaware smash. And they're all just (laughs) a big punch, which is great. (laughs) Like None of them are any different. He just punches the shit out of somebody and says like, Texas smash. And it's uh, it's just a lot of it's just a lot of fun. So, is, it, uh, is it dubbed or subbed? Uh, you can watch either one. Um, I've been watching uh, subbed because that character All Might for one is a hell of a lot funnier uh, in the sub version, and um, he says a lot of he, he uses a lot of English words, um, but you know through a very thick Japanese accent, and that adds a lot of fun to it as well. Uh, so I, I would recommend the subversion, but Hulu has both, uh, if you want to go back and forth. Gotcha. Uh, Greg, I won't judge you for liking anime. Well, I appreciate that. I, um, I have a, I have a weird relationship with anime. I, so I grew up watching some anime, like most kids our age probably did, you know, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z for the most part, but also some gun, some G Gundam here and there and Yu Yu Hakusho and, you know, kind of stuff along the, plus not to mention like Saturday morning stuff like Pokemon, Digimon, that, you know, little kid stuff. But, uh, I came to realize that even though I really liked Dragon Ball Z because, you know, I was a teenage boy in America at the time and everyone did, but I came to realize that the reason I, I don't really like anime is because not the animation, not some of the goofier stuff, but I and I forget there's a there's a word for it, and it basically just means weird anime bullshit. <laughs> and not all anime has it, and I that's what I that's what I don't like. You know, like weird cutscenes and the big teardrops and you know all the goofy faces and stuff. Like, and I realized when I was watching shows like Attack uh, on Titan or something like that, like I like that where it's just like or some of the other heavier Gundams that aren't. Don't like G Gundam has some of the weird stuff in it, but like the other Gundams that are a little more just serious, like I like that yeah. si- that kind of anime. I, I I don't I could the other stuff just ruins my immersion and takes me out of the story and just makes me just go like what the hell is this? Like I know you just kind of get used to it over time, but that's always been my biggest sort of like yeah I don't like this because of that. And I I there is a word for that, and the stuff you're referring to is like um it was almost a visual shorthand that would be put into almost every show where there's certain kind of default facial expressions that like characters would wear just to ex- convey a certain emotion. Um, and it was kind of fourth wall breaking or like when characters were like embarrassed or flustered, like you say that like giant teardrop would just appear on top of their head or like guys would get nosebleeds as a like symbol for 
they are sexually aroused. Like, um, and that and like weird cutaways where it was like all of a sudden animated in a different style and, um, things got like really cartoony and exaggerated for periods. I think that was a, that was kind of a trend, I think, in that kind of era you're talking about, like that, like mid 2000s. And it seemed like everything was doing that, um, you know, to an extreme. And that became like a stylistic choice. But I think that in more modern anime, that trend has gone away mm. and things tend to stick to their style more. Um, I know that stuff's definitely not in my hero academia that, uh, that or if it is, it's in there very, very rarely. Like it doesn't do that kind of like weird code shifting style hopping thing. Gotcha. Yeah. I always just, um, yeah, and I've been recommended things like some of the gun, other Gundam shows and like Cowboy Bebop and things like that, where it's like, oh. there's just none of that. And it's all just like, I guess they're like, quote unquote, realistic anime where like yeah. people move in like, I mean, they can move in stylistic ways, but not just, you know, not Chi Chi screaming at Goku kind of stuff like that, where it's just like, oh my God, right. please it, kill me. You don't break the fourth wall to do these weird style shifts. Right, right. Yeah. So I definitely, it's been on my list to like dive into some anime that I know I would like, I remember there's like these little clips of things like, do you remember like they made like an anime Iron Man show like a couple years ago and also like an anime like X-Men or Wolverine show? Oh, did they? I think I remember that. Yeah. But anyway, I watched like a clip of like the anime Iron Man show and it was just like looked really cool. And I was like, I just, because I do like the animation style, although I will say I have a love hate because I don't like that anime has sort of pulled it has like, and it's like weighed everything down where like most, a lot of cartoon styles have like, or at least in this sort of like genre action adventure style has like shifted it more towards an anime-ish style. Yeah. Like all the new DC animated movies have like a slight anime tinge and like kind of similar things to other places. And it's just like, mm, well, like it's a fine style, but like it's like you can have other styles of animation like the yeah. batman animated series looks cool for a reason it's just is different that's fine so i don't like that it has such a strong pool and also like in vi- video games too i feel like that's been a huge pull to like make things more anime-esque when it's more animated yeah but yeah well, oh, well i do think you should you should give my hero a try because i think that as somebody who likes superhero stuff the approach to superheroes in this is so like pure um you know, it's all about like, what does it mean to be a hero? And they're all striving to be great heroes. And like the morality is so like cut and dry and black and white that again, it is such a refreshing thing from all the, um, gritty heroes making hard choices. And, you know, nobody's a hero and we're all villains stuff that normally I adore, but this is a real breath of fresh air. And it does make you stop and think about like, now that we've seen so many deconstructions of what does it mean to be a hero or a superhero, it's refreshing to see some to see something take a stand of like, this is what it means. Here are the things that a hero is. Um, yeah, it's a nice change of pace. Sounds like the fun version of Warm. Could be. So, well, I mean, main character's got superpowers in that, I guess. But yeah. But anyway, you listened to a little bit of that, right? Uh, yeah, uh, only a couple of chapters. Gotcha. Cool. Well, if you listen anymore, we'll talk about it then. Yes, but- exactly. Anyway, let's move on. Let's so before we dive into Comic-Con stuff, I feel like we should talk about kind of a big bit of news in our world, at least, mm-hmm. which has been troublesome. So this is James Gunn. Um, just over the, essentially over the weekend, I think, um, 
maybe it was on Friday, but J- James Gunn, the director of so far the first two Guardians of the Galaxy films, um, was unceremoniously fired by Disney from, you know, basically everything he was working on, including Guardians of the Galaxy 3, because some tweets of his from 10 plus years ago had resurfaced, uh, full of some pretty gross offensive stuff, um, that, uh, and Disney decided they did not want to be associated with that. Now the tweets in question, they are gross and offensive, but I think anybody reading them would probably realize that they are attempts at humor or attempts at shock, not actual endorsements of things like pedophilia. Um, so I think that's an important wrinkle here. Um, uh, But the other interesting thing here is that the reason these tweets resurfaced was uh, because of a – he would probably want to be called a conservative activist, but I think there's probably a more evil term for him. But this guy, Mike Cernovich, who decided he was going to go after James Gunn because James Gunn went after Mark Duplass, the independent film director, noted liberal as well, um, because Mark Duplass earlier in the week tweeted something about Ben Shapiro, the conservative commentary commentator, basically saying like, hey, I don't support this guy, but if you want to know what conservatives are thinking, he's a good person to listen to. And then the internet reacted to Duplass and said like, Hey, your heart's in the right place, but this Ben Shapiro guy actually said some really horrendous shit. James Gunn was one of those people. Mike Cernovich decided now he's got to go after James Gunn. So he digs up these old tweets from James Gunn's past and is now going after uh, Mike Lee and Black and Patton Oswalt with a similar attack. And also, I think Dan Harmon's being added to the list as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, when this, when this news first broke, I was like, I didn't really delve into it because I don't, I don't linger in these issues because I find it, eh, can be confusing, it can be depressing, it can just be a shame, that's why I kind of, that's how, that's how I wrote it off, I was like, oh, that's, that's a shame, and then moved on, uh, but then as I was reading, bits and more came up and there was more of a pushback, because I just always be like, anybody else that's been kind of torn down from their perch recently for a number of reasons, like, you know, oh, people you know, we'll tear them down and that move on. The next thing will be forgotten. But then as people started pushing back a little bit and sort of started to trying to delineate between someone like James Gunn or Roseanne or people being called out for other worse, far worse things and me too stuff. You know, I, I kind of got a little interested and then read all the stuff about Mike Cernovich and how this is seems to be this sort of like directed attack by conservative or far right, you know, people on the internet. Uh, or in media, I should say, and also the internet. But so, because at first I was like, oh, that's a shame. I didn't really have much feeling past that. And then when people started getting mad, I sort of had the initial impression like, nah, well, people are just mad because they like this guy or have a strong attachment to him and whatever. But then all the other news has sort of been changing my view of the situation a little bit. Yeah. So I've been kind of back and forth on this because when I first heard, I actually took a step back and said, now, I can't, you know, when when somebody goes up and they dig up something, you know, we, we, we all hear the stories about, oh, we found out, we looked at your Facebook posts and we found out you're a racist, so you're fired. Um, and, you know, like, I want to give a round of applause for that. 
So if somebody who's on, you know, my side of the conversation has the same thing happen to them, I logically I'm like, well, no, good for the goose, good for the gander. Um, But I think the difference is I don't think it's a true equivalence um, because I think that anybody who looked at the James Gunn tweets or the Michael Ian Black or the Dan Harrow would realize like this is an attempt at entertainment this is not what this person actually believes. Um, and it's one thing to say, oh, we don't want to be around people who actually believe X, Y, Z. It's another thing to say somebody tried to make a somebody made a joke 10 years ago that is not funny or is offensive. And I don't want to be around that person. I think that's a difference of degree. Um, I think it's idiotic that a James Gunn didn't Go back and delete those tweets. I feel like it should be a, you know, every new year, go just go back six years, look at some tweets and do these still represent me? Like, that's just a good practice for everybody. Um, but uh, but then also, I also think it's absurd that Disney would, when they're looking to bring somebody on like this, wouldn't given it. Tell some intern to take half a day and, hey, go back and read through this person's tweets. And if you see anything that's on this no, no list, uh, let us know. And we're going to we're going to ask them to take them down before we get in bed with this person. So that's kind of weird. But um, I also think that it's different that I'm on the fence about whether or not James Gunn should have lost his job for these tweets from 10 years ago. I am definitely not on the fence about Mike Lean Black, Patton Oswalt. Dan Harmon, what about you? Uh, I, from what I've seen with those, the latter three hasn't seen, doesn't seem as bad as, you know, what James Gunn said. So I probably would agree with you. I've been thinking a lot about just because of the timing. Like if James Gunn put out those tweets tomorrow or yesterday, I feel like, all right, well, dude, like clearly you're just not getting it. Right. Here's the door. I, have issue with two things. First is that these decisions are not being made by Disney executives who have a sense of morality. They're being made by actuaries who are looking at, you know, the cost benefit analysis of analysis of, well, it's just a risk and we don't want to lose any money or potential money or have any reason why these movies aren't going to make a billion dollars, which, you know, okay, that's fair. They're a business. That's what, you know, they're inclined to do. And in some ways that can be a benefit because if we're saying that society is being more societally minded and we aren't employing shitty people like a Roseanne situation, great. Right. Said, like you said, you know, it's best for everybody. But the timing is really what getting to me. This is that it's not like he's a loose cannon going off right now, which even someone like maybe even someone like Dan Harmon, I'd be like, mm, I, someday you might just say something. Cause he said some things recently that are just like, mm, I'm not sure about that. But I think that I've been struggling with this idea of like forgiveness in the media, for lack of a better term. Uh, and I usually have a pretty like, I don't know, I've had a weird, it's getting a little existential for a second, but like a weird relationship with forgiveness because as a concept in general, because as a, a kid, you know, you grow up in a Christian household and blah, 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 forgiveness, the whole nine yards. And then as you sort of rebel against that, that was something I always felt very strongly about that like forgiveness in the way that Christians talk about it is dumb and stupid and you made a mistake and you should, you know, people have a right to be mad at you for the rest of your life in their life if that's what they want to do because you made you made a mistake. But in the media and in this kind of case, it's like he, to be fair, he has never come out and said, you know, very over. I've read some things that are kind of hinted at like, oh, I've changed a little bit. Like some things I said in the past were kind of shitty, whatever. But I don't understand why an apology for something you did 10 minutes ago, 10 years ago that didn't actively hurt someone isn't enough. 
Yeah, I think that's a I, I do think the time scale has something to do with it where it seems like, you know, if, if, if this was the way he was 10 years ago, but that's not the way he is today. Are we saying but then again, you know, I think in the in the James Gunn case, it's a little tricky because it's like, is Disney firing them because they think he's a bad person or is Disney firing them because they're like, this doesn't reflect well on our brand. And if it's a decision of it doesn't reflect well on our brand, then OK. And, you know, for Disney, the nuance, you know, they're thinking about, look, even if. Yeah. OK. The point is, it was 10 years ago, but this story is going to get repeated how many times between now and the release of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and that thing about it being 10 years ago is going to get lost in all of the repetition and all the outrage. So we just got to be done with it. So I understand where Disney's coming from. I do think that. Um, uh, but I also feel like to take the Roseanne example, one of the things that always, you know, was that we all gave ABC, you know, a big round of applause when they fired her immediately. But the truth is that the sort of the tweet that got Roseanne fired was a typical 2018 Roseanne tweet. And the reason Roseanne ended when it ended the first time around was because Roseanne Barr was becoming an increasingly, increasingly unstable and unhinged person. She was difficult to work with for everyone. And so when ABC, like ABC knew who they were hiring when they hired Roseanne and for them to all of a sudden be like, Oh no, we can't deal deal with this. It's like, this is what she's been talking about for years. This is why did you think that when you hired her, she was just going to stop? Like you knew who you hired. It was just that when it became public, you fired them. And it just boggles my mind that Disney would bring this person on as a high profile part of their, um, of their brand without doing more of a background check on him when this stuff is publicly available. But I think one of the main differences here is that like Patton Oswalt, Michael Ian Black, like those guys are professional comedians. Like they tell jokes for money. And part of being a professional comedian in 2018 means putting out free jokes on Twitter. And I don't think anybody can look at Michael Ian Black's Twitter feed or Patton Oswalt's Twitter feed and think these guys genuinely believe these things. It's obvious that they are work. They are trying out material. So I think that the idea that we're going to hold them responsible and judge them as bad people is insane. Ditto for Dan Harmon. Um, Dan Harmon, it's a little bit different because some sketches he did for his old Channel 101 project have come out and you know, are pretty like, ooh, shocking humor. But that's also like, but that's, it's, it's so obviously we're trying to be funny here. Um, it just, it, it boggles my mind that we're going to, you know, try to do this, you know, jump up on this moral high horse and try to make judgments about these people for making bad art, especially in the comedy sphere where threading the needle between offensive and shocking and and funny is that's the whole game and then you know and then we're going to decide that because a couple times they didn't thread the needle correctly we're going to destroy their careers i mean we don't fire basketball players every time they miss a shot right right i mean i i i think you're right definitely them being a comedian is a a major factor i also just i don't like that this is sort of becoming a political war of Mm -hmm. like people digging through each other's you know media personalities to try and find dirt. I also don't like that this is probably going to, I think, one of the fun parts of the modern world, um, for better or worse in these situations, you know, it can be worse is 
being able to have quote unquote closer contact with celebrities and people, you know, of power in the world. Uh, obviously, we've seen where that can go bad, Mr. President. But, <laughs> you know, I just saw something right now that said, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson just went through and cleaned out some tweets where before he had 22,000 and now he has a thousand. And, you know, granted, smart play on his part. Um, and also, like, I don't blame him. But now does this mean that people are going to be a lot more guarded about what they say if they can cost them their career potentially i mean i think james gunn will be able to move on to something else hopefully but i just uh, this is where that whole problematic creator thing gets another weird layer where i just it, it opens a can of worms that is tough to stuff back in yeah and i think that the that the, that the important thing to, to recognize with the political piece of this is that mike cernovich is going after these people because they are liberals and he is finding things He's going back and he is finding fireable offenses just to um, the crime is being a liberal. But, you know, what they're what he's trying to catch you on is bad tweets, whereas the difference is, is that Roseanne and, you know, the other people, the quote unquote conservatives who are being fired for their tweets. It's because it's not because you're they're not being fired for being a conservative. And the cover story is you made bad tweets. It's you said racist things. We don't want to be around a racist. It's not that we don't want a conservative to have a job. It's we don't want a racist to have a job. And it's so obvious that Cernovich's attacks are we don't want these liberals to have jobs and we're going to find an excuse to get them fired as opposed to, you know, um, nobody's using racism as an excuse to fire conservatives. Um, racism is the, you know, we are, it's that conservatives or racists who happen to be conservatives are getting fired, not the other way around. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think overall at this point I've moved from, you know, oh, that's a shame too. Uh, this is really a shame. You know, um, I, I don't think that the efforts to change Disney's mind are going to uh, no. come to any fruition. You know, I hope that this doesn't sully the Guardians franchise or anything like that, because obviously none of those people. Are, I know that I, I, it's interesting to see, you know, cast members and things kind of come to the defense, because if I was somebody in that position, I would be sitting there twiddling my thumbs because, you know, I just feel like that conflagration can can spread at this point so easily to to attack other people that, I mean, not that Disney's going to go fire Chris Pratt anytime soon, unless they absolutely have to. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's a, uh, it's shitty. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it is a disturbing development. I think, um, uh, yeah. Finding trumped up charges for lack of a better word to, you know, to bring down people just because they happen to vote. They happen to vote for the, a different presidential candidate is, uh, a, a bit shitty. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of a bit shitty, should we talk about Comic-Con? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) All right. So the first thing on the list, I think this, you need to talk about this, um, because you know a thing or two about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I do. I was actually in, um, I'm doing like a optional, like intergroup dialogue relations class thing at work right now. Uh, very interesting, but, um, we always start with some sort of icebreaker of, you know, Ah, if you go anywhere in the world where we go, you know, and one the one last week was, what's your favorite TV show of all time? And I was sitting there just like, God, I don't know. What is my favorite TV show of all time? And, you know, so I, I did end up I did end up saying Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which 
kind of surprised me a little bit, uh, hmm. but it also surprised the audience a little bit. I am the only man in the group, and um, anyway, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this doesn't look good, man. <laughs> well, it it was weird because a lot of the women were saying, you know, their favorite shows, but they oftentimes were like. Oh, you know, I really love ER because this and that and like, oh, and George Clooney's a real, you know, piece of whatever. And I'm just like, I'm not sure why, like, <laughs> you're saying that, but whatever. Anyway, uh, I tried to explain that, you know, I like Joss Whedon's work and I, you know, did a lot. It was really revolutionary, blah, blah, blah. But everyone just kind of looked at me and squinted their eyes a little bit and were like, you're a weirdo. Well, they're not wrong. Fine. They're not wrong. So anyway, uh, news has broken that, I guess, Comic Con that, um, there is going to be a new Buffy the Vampire Slayer show, uh, executive produced uh, with a hand from Joss Whedon, and then being uh, showrun by, oh god, I'm blanking on her name. Um, anyway, she has directed a number of, many episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so she's involved in the, the Whedon clan stuff for a while. She may have even worked on some past shows as well, I, I forget. Anyway, the news about the show is that it is going to be a female of color uh, playing the Buffy role, I assume, and that uh, they've been kind of, they've used the word, you know, reboot, but also expanding on the mythology, sort of implying that maybe this isn't exactly a uh, total reboot and that maybe it exists in the same continuity, uh, something along those lines. So I have thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. First of all, above anything else, it's just one of those things. If it's good, it'll be good. I think that the route they go, and I think it's being shipped to Fox. Uh, mm. No, no, no. It's being produced by a Fox studio, but it is being optioned to different streaming services mm-hmm. and cable networks. That is what I read. Uh, so, because Fox owns the rights to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, which will soon mean that Disney owns the rights to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, so, uh, okay. In theory, I'm okay with this. I think basing it in mythology is a good idea. I think the world was not over-explained enough that it would be difficult or need a lot of retconning, especially because the way that this is spoilers for the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer show, it's been off the air for <laughs> 20 years. years or whatever. So uh, the last sort of triumphant moment of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is that uh, Buffy uses, or Willow actually, the witch, um, House of Hannigan uses the power of magic and this mythical weapon that Buffy had found and was wielding to uh, basically every. Okay, so let me pick up that cap. <laughs> There's only one Slayer at any given time, and when that Slayer dies, then another Slayer awakens. Essentially, there's and they're all called potentials, like people that could be Slayers if their number gets called. You're in the deli line and you've got a ticket, and so. Um, example in the one season, Buffy dies, but is, you know, resuscitated essentially. And another slayer is called named Kendra. Uh, then she is killed subsequently. And that is when, uh, another slayer is announced, I guess, cause it confused the system a little bit. And that's when a major character faith is introduced, played by, um, wow. Elijah, Elijah Dushku. Yes. Uh, and anyway, so there were two slayers for the rest of the show. Um, at the end of the show, Willow unlocks the magic and makes all potential slayers, all young women, into slayers. So they have an army of slayers to uh-huh. fight the army of big, bad, scary super vampires they're fighting at the end of the show. Anyway, so if you build on that mythology, I could see it working in some way. Um, 
I don't know why anyone named their kid Buffy in 2018, but that's fine. Uh, I think that it would have to be done in a way that is different. You're not going to be able to pull the monster of the week a la supernatural kind of thing that that just doesn't exist anywhere anymore in any amount of like positive like way. You know, usually it's the the dark side of all those shows and even the show like Shield, which is still a 23 episode show, although it won't be for the last season or not last or last season, the next season. Uh, even that has sort of abandoned the we're going to go tackle a crime this week. And yeah. just like it's just a serial storytelling. And I think that's pretty much the, the way you have to go unless you found a way to revive this Monster of the Week story. But I'm not positive you could do that's possible. Well, anymore. I, I think what we can see is that episodic storytelling you know, like your monster of the week type it, that still does live on in a lot of primetime programming, like CSI and Chicago fill in the blank. And a lot of those shows, um, uh, all the law and order spinoffs and all of those procedural shows, but those are targeting an aging and shrinking audience. And Buffy the Buffy the Vampire Slayer 2.0 is not going to be able to grab a hold of the folks who still just want to see a crime of the week show because those people are all 50 plus. So it you're right. It has to be serialized long arcs. So it will have to be a format shift. Yeah. And I think you could still work some of it in there. I mean, that is part of the heart of the show. And because not not every serial storyline has to be purely based in the sort of plot content it can be about character growth and mm-hmm. relationships and that kind of stuff like you can do some of that in there just fine uh i do think that i mean i have to look at the specific episodes and stuff that she's directed but i think that the fact that whedon is just being executive producer that means a myriad of things uh from very little involvement to heavy involvement from the sounds of it he wasn't that involved as executive producer in shield but this is also his baby, essentially. So who knows how he'll be involved. He's also doing that whole other show. So he'll probably be busy with that. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'd say I would be very happy to see a continuation of the story as opposed to a complete reboot, just because I think it'll ground it a little bit and make for some fun. It'd be a good way to bring old fans back in and give you a chance to give some. It'd just be fun to see some of these other characters reappear again. Now, it does answer questions, ask questions about all these supposedly very, very canon comics that have come out <laughs> over the past, you know, 10 years, uh, which is always that risk you take, I think. But I'm a little surprised that they're going for a Buffy reboot as opposed to like some sort of continuation of Firefly, just because I feel like people were clamoring more for that. But I also think that Buffy has a lot of modern day relevance at this point. Uh, that perhaps Firefly does not. I think that's part of it. And I also think that I think that the argument goes um, Firefly was never a successful television show. Um, And we can make all the arguments in the world about Fox or whoever, whoever it was, you know, fucking around with their time slot or, or, you know, what have you. But the problem, I think, is that Firefly is an expensive show to make mm-hmm. in terms of sets and props and costumes and special effects. Buffy is probably a cheaper show to make. So even if Firefly had more viewers, let's just say, um, an expensive show needs a higher percentage of, you know, uh, needs better ratings than a less expensive show to be profitable. And 
I bet you they've done the math on a Firefly reboot and they've, you know, specked out the budget and then they've looked at the number of people who are, you know, hungry for one. And they said those numbers just don't work out. Whereas Buffy, um, you know, they've looked at it and they said, well, you know, maybe we don't have as many Buffy fans as Firefly fans, although there's still probably more Buffy fans. Um, but Buffy's a cheaper show. It's less risk. Yeah. And I mean, I think it'd be fun. You know, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be cool to see. Sarah Michelle Gellar on screen as Buffy in some, you know, not in the whole show, but, you know, I have a cameo at some oh, yeah. point. Yeah, definitely. Um, or, or any of them, to be honest. I mean, I think that all there's a lot of stuff that was left open that you could bring some of the people back. And most of them are not doing anything particularly. I mean, probably the most successful of the bunch is uh, the guy who plays Angel's name. David Boreanaz. Yeah, he's doing stuff on TV and whatever. Yeah, but. You know, he's pretty popular, I guess. He's he's pretty busy, but I'm sure he I don't know if he would. I, I think he's I don't think he would come back as Angel, but um, I think he's probably beyond that point in his career. But hey, money can talk if it takes off, I guess. <laughs> uh, he has sort of said as much in the past that like, I don't have any regrets of doing that, but that's not really me anymore. Yeah. So he's big hunky now. So, yeah, cautious, opt- cautiously optimistic. Uh, we'll see what happens. And yeah, that's what I think. All right. Um did you watch the trailer for Godzilla? I did. Oh man, um, that is, this, movie is looks... this a sequel to the one that came out with uh, Brian Cranston in it? Correct. Okay, I have not seen that movie. Have you seen that movie? I did. It, How is it? Um, the parts with Godzilla in it are great. The other hundred and twenty minutes of that movie are a little rough. Gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, no, I think that the. Um, it's uh, but when that movie focuses on spectacle, the original Godzilla, it's very, very good. Um, that director, I believe, Gareth Edwards, really knew how to like make Godzilla and the other monsters in the movie just look so amazing. And you got a great sense of scale and of doom from these giant monsters. Um, so that's what I think is so interesting about this next trailer because we are full on in Godzilla is the hero of the movie mode now. And the monsters are the hero of the movie, right? I, I guess. I mean, I was a little confused from the trailer, which is good. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I watched like more Godzilla than I like kind of remember. Like, cause <laughs> it's just something that was always kind of on like HBO during the day or, you know, just like random channels here and there. And like when I saw some of these characters, I'm like, oh yeah fucking mothra man like let's do this like those are goofy movies for sure but uh the the monsters look awesome yes i mean they look amazing yes even like like a mothra a big giant moth pretty hard to make look like cool and i was just like really looks really really awesome i'm not really sure what the plot line in this movie is but yeah it's i don't care i don't care because <laughs> it seems like is that maggie gyllenhaal i think it's maggie gyllenhaal it's like we got to wake up all the monsters to like I don't know. Stop global warming or something. I'm like, whatever, whatever. <laughs> fine. Just give me the monsters. Um, but like they're treating them on like it's it's like the monsters are like the heroes in this movie. And the the music in this trailer is so like uplifting and like epic sounding. And it's not that same trailer. Boom. Yeah. Ding. I noticed that too. Boom. That, you know, like is every I mean, like even, you know, even kids movies about talking dogs have that nonsense in them now. (laughs) But like it's just this uplifting music and like you like it makes you want to like you're like it's almost like an angelic choir. 
as you look at these, just these shots of these monsters and they're really made to look really godlike and awe inspiring. And it's just like, I was like, I'm in, man. I am in. If this is the feeling and the mood that you were going for, for, for this movie, this is new and weird and ambitious and I am on board. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, it does this like, it's really, inspiring and uplifting the music because i noticed the music a lot too and then but like towards the end it starts to get like a little dissonant which uh-huh. is like pretty cool and yeah i mean i i hope that i mean the human cast is fine and like i just hope that they don't bog the story down with like too much like humans yeah uh that was I mean, the mistake are, the first one made <laughs> yeah humans are a crucial part of the godzilla story for sure but i just want to see you know f- i mean like i want to see godzilla and mothra fighting Ghidorah, Ghidorah and Rodan, and, yeah. and Rodan. like that's what I want to see, and that's what better fucking happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's gonna happen. <laughs> so that's cool. I need to watch the first one, I guess. And I guess at some point they're supposed to cross over with Kong, right? Yeah, those are acknowledged to be taking place in the same universe. So we'll see. Monsterverse is that what they're calling it? I don't. It? I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I still listen to that movie too. I heard it was pretty good, but. Anyway, yeah, I'm excited. And that the poster they released for it just looks like a straight up like Burzum or Bathory poster <laughs> album cover, and it looks awesome. Um, not Burzum, probably more yeah, probably more not Burzum. Something. But uh, but yeah, it looks someone or it looks like a Dio album cover. It looks like someone on Facebook like or on Reddit edited it, just put the Dio logo on top of it, and it's just like, yep, this looks like a Dio album cover. <laughs> uh, it looks perfect. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm down with that. So. Uh, you posted on here the trailer for Glass, which is this M. Night Shyamalan superhero team up or something for his shared universe. It was a surprise that came off of the end of Split. Yes. Am I right? For the movie Unbreakable, neither of which I've seen. OK, well, I really I, it's been a long time since I've seen Unbreakable, but I remember it being it's I mean, it's it's my favorite and I Shyamalan movie. Um, I think it, it might be one of my favorite comic book movies because it is a movie that is about comic books, not a movie that, uh, adapts comic books. Um, and I watched Split recently and Split is a totally fine way to spend two hours on a rainy afternoon. It is not a great movie, but James McAvoy really makes a meal out of playing all these different personalities and it's fine. And then the surprise at the end that it takes place in the same universe as Unbreakable is very, very interesting. And now they're making Glass, which is um, bringing all of the, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, the villain from Unbreakable, plus uh, Bruce Willis's character from Unbreakable, and then the character from Split. And now we're going to have a supervillain team up and Bruce Willis has to stop it. I'm on board and it actually looks good. I feel like... This is this is a style of filmmaking where M. Night Shyamalan is he's finally trying. He's like finding his footing and, you know, he's just making stylish, weird, almost, you know, fantasy movies, you know, or urban fantasy movies almost. And and I'm I'm looking forward to this one. It looks weird <laughs> and I like weird yeah, having no um or next to no like knowledge of either film. I was like, uh, this looks weird, but I'll, I want to go see it. And I guess I'll watch the first two first yeah. to make sure I know what's going on. But, uh, I like the, I mean, you know me, I'm all about them shared universes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For better or worse. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So Star Trek discovery season two. Yes. So I really liked the music in the Godzilla trailer. I thought it did a lot to, um, 
elevate and really create a feeling and a sense of personality um, to the movie. And the music for the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 trailer almost made me want to stop watching Star Trek. It is just a chopped and screwed version of Lenny Kravitz's hit Fly Away, which you might remember for being the only thing that any radio station or music station was legally allowed to play in 1997. So... It was this, this just, it just, I hated the music and watching the trailer. I was actually like when the, when, because it was this kind of like chopped up version. So like there were parts of the trailer where it was either like faded down or you just couldn't hear it. And I was like, Oh, I want to watch this show. And then it would fade back in. I'd be like, I want to throw myself in front of traffic. Um, but I'm actually excited for Star Trek Discovery Season 2. I liked Season 1. I like that in Season 2, we're introducing the Enterprise and uh, Captain Pike. And there's going to be some Spock nonsense that we're getting into. So I'm all about that. Uh, but oh my God, that Lenny Kravitz song. Uh, people need to be fired for that. <laughs> yeah, um, my initial reaction was like, Oh, okay. Like the new Star Trek. That seems cool. What is this music? Why? And from that point on, I don't remember a single thing about the trailer because I was just trying to like undo the damage that was done to my brain by just blocking everything out. Because who, why would you ever do that? Just, you know what? Just give me the blomb thing. Like, yeah, just, that's I, fine. Yeah. Like, give me generic whatever. Like, don't. Like, oh, God, like so bad. So, 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 so bad. And I feel like one of the things that the the, the biggest one of the big criticisms of the three um, Chris Pine Star Trek movies is that they keep trying to shoehorn in like 90s and 2000s nostalgia music into those like. Captain Kirk is a Beastie Boys fan, even though that music's been dead for 300 years by the time he's been born. Like, that part is just so frustrating. And the fact that we're using Lenny Kravitz songs to sell to sell Star Trek just cheapens everything about it. And it's just so gross. And also, of all the songs you could pick, why that one, man? That's just, it's, ugh, ugh. It's got fly in it. And this... There's flying in Star Trek. And I know that they're trying to like that this they wanted this trailer to be a little bit more upbeat. Uh, season one got a lot of heat for being really grim, which is fair. But like this goes way too far in the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, like you said, whoever made whoever decided on that and then approved it, made it and then approved it. All those people should be fired. Yes. And Every Star Trek has such great music that you could just use. Yeah. Just uh. use the goddamn Star Trek theme. <laughs> Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, so on to um, so disenchantment. Yeah, so we've we talked about this when it was first announced. This is Matt Groening's new series. It's going to be yeah, on like Netflix. It's fantasy Futurama. It, it, exactly. Did you did you watch the trailer? I did. I I thought the tone was really weird. Yeah, because <laughs> it seems like really upbeat and like cheerful and hopeful, then interspliced with some like pretty dark jokes, but that also like didn't seem to be trying to do that juxtaposition like it almost seemed like it was an accident i don't know i i mean it looks funny and like the animation looks really cool like some of the scenery shots and stuff looks really looks really neat but i was just like this is a another weird ass trailer that i'm not really sure i put my finger on it yeah i i that's a that's a really good really you know uh, i really agree with you that it's weird i couldn't really get get a handle on what the sense what the style of humor is going to be and 
I also didn't get a feeling from watching it that it really seems like it's using the fantasy setting at all. It didn't, in the way that Futurama really felt like a love letter and parody of science fiction in general, this just feels like a lot of Matt Groening style humor with a fantasy coat of paint thrown over it. So a little skeptical. Yeah, I'd say maybe hard to gauge those things from the trailer. Like, what if you watch a trailer of Futurama, you probably might think the same thing. I mean, I I just still feel like, I don't know, like, it's sort of build it as like this like uplifting i don't know like i was kind of like what yeah you said what is this what is the like style of humor what is the atmosphere here and also sort of along those lines uh i was surprised i would have expected that now i'm not i don't know matt graining you know for anybody but i would have thought that maybe since it's on netflix they might lean into the fact that they can do whatever the hell they want and it seemed almost like more wholesome than hmm. like what i stood for and then there's the jokes of like the king like killing himself on his sword throne or the whole like which did make me laugh like you know i'm gonna try and find my calling in life it's like i'm a good butcher it's like this is a pet shop it's like oh that is stark yeah funny the, but it was just weird yeah well and that's the thing is that some of the jokes were like i like this. this is interesting this has got some depth to it and like this has got kind of a point of view but then there's like the joke of the guy stabs himself on the the you know the sword throne, which is just like the most obvious first thought Game of Thrones joke that you could find. Right. So I don't know. It's weird. I'm not sure what to make of it. Again, I think you're right. Like if we went back and watched the trailers for Futurama and I even feel like I remember thinking this at the time, like, oh, it's the Simpsons in space. Great. And this looks like, oh, it's Futurama in fantasy world. Great. And it turned out to be much more than that. So I guess we got to give it a little bit more time. But I was a little mixed. I did like the kind of medieval string version of rebel rebel in uh, in the in the in the music the trailer I, I enjoyed that i did i will say i only knew that because i read a comment <laughs> it took me a while to pick it up i was like what the hell is that that riff i know that riff and then yeah yeah how to how to make a good cover star trek team or or just use any of your old star trek music it's all good <laughs> okay. uh yeah so night flyers from from the mind that refuses to bring you Game of Thrones. Oh, my God. Oh, God. I've just been, like, going on the subreddit a little bit lately just to see. And, and people are just so unbelievably, like, sad and cynical. It's just, it's pretty sad, actually. Because that subreddit was so cool and active and everyone's just like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> the Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Yeah. But, yeah. So, anyway, Night Flyer. So, it's like a, uh, it's like a sci-fi, like thriller horror not horror maybe i don't know it's uh, i couldn't really tell what was going on from the trailer so i don't really know the plot line i'm not familiar with the story at all was it a book uh, i want to say short story okay but i think it's just vampire on a space station oh okay that's cool i'm down with that i didn't really i didn't pick up vampire from the trailer but i think i know that just from that's the I think that they're trying to conceal that in the trailer a little bit, but I think that's out in the open. I could be wrong. I mean, I like the idea of vampire in space because there's something about, oh, they're, you know, harmed by sunlight. So they go to a place of eternal night. Like, that's kind of neat. But I also I've seen Haunted Space Station done so many different ways. And I think it's been done and it always turns out looking like Event Horizon. And I've seen Event Horizon 13 times. So I'm good on Haunted Space Station. Yeah, I mean, it's always one of those things that, that creeps you out, but 
haunted or alien space station is like you said it's just been done so many times and you have to bring something new to it and maybe it is there's some there's some other things going on in this but uh i i don't know i mean i'll watch it i guess it's a sci-fi show yeah. so i'll probably check it out but uh i just feel like we're starting to enter this phase where there's so much genre television now that i'm getting to the point where i just can't watch every single one of them because they're a genre television <laughs> yeah, show because like they don't a, have time can i just watch something about like i don't know like a bunch of 20 somethings living in the city trying to find love <laughs> well not even that just that i don't have the time to like I actually have to pick and choose and yeah. find out which is mediocre and which is good because there's actually options now, always, which I guess is a good thing. Yeah, but but there's only so many hours in the week. Right, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm going to check it out maybe. Yeah, the, the production design looks looks like it looks – it's got a look to it. It's, you know, it's got a, a unique visual style that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I think I need to know more on this because, again, I feel like I've seen Haunted Space Station so many times. Yeah, man, there's definitely a production style that's sort of up and coming. It's like how to do space shit on the cheap, <laughs> you know, which you can see in like Altered Carbon or The Expanse or this show. Like they all kind of have that same vibe where it's like it's not movie production, but it's pretty damn good. I guess probably Star Trek Discovery is similar to like just kind of has a similar like everything kind of looks a little samey to me just because mm. I think that's probably they're just like, all right, like this is how you make a ship. For the minimal amount of money possible. Yeah, and it has a very, like, when, when we were doing exterior shots, it uses that technique that was kind of pioneered by Battlestar Galactica, where it's a lot of, like, quick pans and zooms, mm-hmm. and it feels almost like, you know, like, war documentary photography, where it feels like there's a live cameraman out there. And it's cool, it's exciting, but it also, because everything's kind of blurring in the camera as it moves around, you don't need to put that much detail on the ships. <laughs> so you yeah, kind of get away it- with, you know, lower res models, but it, you're right, I feel like I've seen that a lot. Yeah, even like Firefly did some of that too, and you could notice it. Like I watched some some episode of it sometime, like on the Blu-ray rip, and I was like, "Oh, oh boy, Ugh. stuff does not look as good <laughs> when you are that crisp and clean because uh, everything's kind of like you said, everything's kind of fuzzy." So, but eh, we'll check it out maybe. So, shall I move into this 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 block? This last thing. It's all kind of one big category of our favorite favorite co- production company. DC. Yeah, man. This was kind of their show because Marvel's lying low because I think they don't want to spoil anything for Avengers 4. Yeah. So they don't really have anything to show. So in terms of the big comic book movies and TV, it's all DC's show. And boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think I want to start with, um, go over here, is let's start, with the, let's start with the movies. Okay. Because they announced that instead of calling it the, the DC Extended Universe, which was what sort of the movie universe was being called in the line, same line as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know why Extended Universe was what they went with, because it's just kind of vague. But anyway, they have now rebranded it to be the Worlds of DC. Okay. Does that sound familiar to you, Greg? Worlds of DC? Well, just sort of the suggestion that like, hey, maybe they should rebrand their movies and make it like a multiverse kind of thing. I feel like somebody might have said that in a previous episode of this podcast. Oh, so you're saying that over there at DC, they finally started listening to us and that they need to embrace the Elseworlds idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Waiting on the check, now, DC. Yeah. But anyway, we won't linger on that. But the, the problem is they they only listen to that bit. <laughs> Because, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Aquaman. Oh, no. Okay, fine. Fine. Let's talk about Aquaman. So this is one of those situations where I get sad because 
I see, I say this a lot about things, but like I see bits and pieces of like, ooh, that looks really cool. Why does the rest of this look like garbage? <laughs> like in this trailer, Atlantis and some of the stuff underwater and like Black Manta look pretty legit, but, or some, most of it does. Some of it looks like garbage. But then anything that actually involves Aquaman is terrible. Legit terrible. Because this interpretation of Aquaman is legit terrible. <laughs> I got to tell you, I hate this movie. That's I, I don't doubt that you do. <laughs> I hate everything about this movie. Because even, I, you know what I thought? You said Atlantis looks good. I won't, I won't say it doesn't look good. But when I saw it, what I, well, the shots of Atlantis, I thought, oh, I guess Disney's working on that live action Little Mermaid after all. <laughs> because it looked exactly like the Atlantis from, from Little Mermaid, but just zhuzhed up through that same filter they put on Beauty and the Beast to make their Beauty and the Beast movie. I, I, so that was a letdown. This, this version of Aquaman, Jason Momoa's Aquaman, just infuriates me to no end. Like, I, I have no special place in my heart for Aquaman. I am open to other, you know, takes on the character that could be interesting. But this is worse than nothing. This is just, it's so, he's so unlikable and boring. And this whole, oh, you're, you're from two worlds. You're the only one who can save us. No, that doesn't make a lick of sense. That's not and how... Just- you need the king should be the guy who was raised to be the king. That's how monarchies work. You're capable of being the king because you spend your entire childhood and adolescence being trained specifically how to be a king. <laughs> but then, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Had like seven ooh, of those. Uh, what was that? Was like, oh, hey, reminder. He's a he's a 90s douche bro. Like, what <laughs> is happening in this movie? Yeah, oh. it's just. I just feel like they just like classic DC where they're like, ooh, we have these like kind of like tough ideas like Aquaman and Atlantis and like monarchies and like crazy ocean animals. We better like make it palatable to the audience by making him a guy who has tribal tattoos and you might hear yelling extra loud at the gym. Oh, and hey, you know what we should do? We should include that same scene from the first Harry Potter where he talks to the snake and makes the snake scare his his stepbrother. But it'll be an aquarium and there'll be bullies. Yeah. And it'll look like garbage. <laughs> it'll be exactly that. I mean, Ugh. and I, I, I wouldn't mind so much the if they said, you know what, we've established this Aquaman as like a just an awful stereotype of 90s surfer bro. So we have to run with it. But like, have everybody else like look at him like, seriously, dude? Did you say, oh, yeah? Like, have him be goofy and sincere in his weird 90s way. But for the rest, but but for us to look at him like, what a weird guy. Instead, it wants us to watch him say, oh, yeah, when he's jumping out of a plane. And it wants us to be like, oh, yeah. It. I just, yeah. I don't know what, who the fuck is this movie for? I have no idea. And you know, I feel like they were at a point where, like, his character in Justice League was in it enough they could have just lightly backtrack away from some of this, like, douchey, you know, bro stuff, and no one would have noticed. But it seems like they just double-downed on it in this movie, and then it's just like, that is the wrong direction. Like, like you said, like, there's so many interpretations that, like, hey, maybe aren't amazing or the, the most creative thing, but, like, just do it. Make him a Boy Scout, or make him an Edgelord, but not whatever this guy is, right. like... <laughs> 
Fuck. And don't ask us to don't ask us to go along with him on his weird 90s, you know, extreme sports Dan Cortez ride. Like just, you know, like it's fine if he's that way, but don't make us root for that. Have that be a funny thing about him. Yeah, but that, you know, <sighs> for some reason in the ocean, the only thing that, you know, um the only thing that he could watch on his ocean TV was like X Games 98. So so he that's just the way he is, you know, like Buddy the Elf, <laughs> but with 90s extreme sports. That would be funny and fine and retcon his garbage performance in Justice League. Oh, oh, I want to I want to travel back in time to before this movie existed. Yeah, uh not does not look good. Um and then but I just yeah, crazy cuz I go on see these things posted and I look at the the Reddit comments and on Facebook, it's like people eat this shit up sometimes. I'm just like, why? Who? Why? What right. do you mean? Like, I want to have an honest conversation with somebody. Like, like what about this? <laughs> am I not getting? People are like, oh, this trailer gave me goosebumps. I'm just like, oh, you are easy to please, my friend. <laughs> uh, must be nice to be innocent and ignorant. I don't know. I, I just um, had the greatest meal of my life. It's this new place. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Little Caesars. <laughs> Applebee's. <laughs> Uh, God. So anyway, well, enough about that. It's garbage. We, oh, we can do something man. like that. Um, Shazam. I am conflicted on Shazam. I would agree. I I was I was I was into it for most of the trailer. I'm still skeptical on uh, the muscle suit. It looks fakey in a way that I don't appreciate. Um and I like the I like the more exuberant having fun being a superhero tone. But I also feel like all the ways they chose to go with it are ways I've seen before. The like experimenting with his powers montage I've seen done better in other movies. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel that it feels a little clumsy and I don't like not that I have a huge attachment to Shazam or Let's just, can we just call him Captain Marvel? Can we just call him you Captain Marvel? You can call him whatever you want. Okay, I'm going to call him Captain Marvel. Uh, I do think he's got a unique place in the DC universe from the stories and I've read and watched where there's a lot you can do with the character. But I think, A, uh, what's the guy? Zach Levi? Mm-hmm. Big miscast. Huge miscast. Not that I have a problem with him as a person or an actor in general. I think he's fine. But Captain Marvel should have been The Rock or... Somebody with a lot of charisma, someone huge, like huge, 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 that can play the innocent Boy Scout in a way that even Superman can't live up to with sort of like where that childishness can come out, but not in a goofy way. I know The Rock wants to be Black Adam and all that. That's fine. But like, I just think that, like I said, the muscle suit doesn't look good on him. He is too much of a kid himself already. Hmm. Like the characters he plays is very are very immature. And where I think what you needed is someone who isn't usually immature but has to sort of play to that, like, oh, I'm like a big muscly guy, but also like a 14-year-old. I think the, And that's a hard line to walk without being dumb. So I think The Rock could do it because that's what he did in, in Jumanji. Sure. And I think he did a great job in Jumanji of, you know, being this mix of he's this mountain of muscle, but he's also vulnerable and insecure. And like that worked out great. So I do think he, he probably would have been a better pick. I think that... I know that the arc of this movie is about a teenage boy learning about responsibility, which is fine. But also, 
I've seen that before. And it really seems like what they're doing here is they are trying to set up Shazam as DC's Spider-Man, where, you know, he's young, he's inexperienced, he's learning about responsibility, he's kind of idealistic, but he's also kind of a prankster. So it just feels like it, it, it just feels like a different coat of paint on things I've already seen, I guess, is where I'm coming out. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I do think it just kind of felt a little trite. Mm. And I think that that's the fact that I'm pretty sure I don't know where it stands nowadays. But back when they first announced this, they said it was not going to take place in the same universe as Batman vs Superman and, you know, Aquaman and Justice League and whatever else. I don't know if that's still the line, especially with this new rebranding, because uh, I think Shazam oftentimes works best as a, you know, foil or a counter to other individuals. And not that I, I said, not that I have a huge attachment to this character or anything, but it just seems like, I don't know, yet another missed opportunity where maybe a hint or two of like some, some good ideas, but just executed poorly and mixed in with a lot of bad ones. Yeah. So speaking of bad ideas, oh boy, fuck Batman. Uh, I'd rather not fuck Batman. <laughs> so this is, I guess this was pre comic con, but we're going to throw it in here anyway. So DC actually wanted to look this up, but DC announced their, the full kind of package for the DC universe, uh, service, I guess, for lack of a better term, their, their streaming it's, service. But it's also more than that. Oh, God. It's that, and it's also, you get access to, I think I read, was a curated collection of classic DC comics. Great. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's trying to take over. People are saying that it might take over the entire DC sort of like comic streaming or digital format, which is is a cool market ploy. Like, hey, group everything together. It's like eight bucks a month, I think. Like, a lot of people would enjoy that, and it also has back catalog access to you know, the Nolan films and the Donner films and like all these other DC <laughs> The good things. ones. <laughs> the good ones. Sure. Um, which I don't think are available streaming elsewhere. Good idea. Uh, their flagship show called Titans. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Teen Titans show, um, which we are now on our fourth Teen Titans show, if you count Young Justice, which is basically a Teen Titans show. Uh, our first live action one. And it looks like one of the worst things I've ever seen in my uh, life. I honestly... I could not get through the entire trailer, um, which is saying a lot. I mean, these things are two minutes long, and I had to bail. Because, honestly, if you had told me, check out this parody trailer of that, like, college humor made to make fun of how grim and gritty and bullshitty the DC movie universe has gotten, I would not have been surprised. Like, this is... Robin murders a bunch of dudes in an alley and says, fuck Batman. Like, that is the joke you write when you're trying to talk about how bad the DC movies are. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, I mean, just the choices they're making. I mean, like, and I, people brought up, I don't, I'm not familiar with this character, but one of the characters in the show is Dove, who I guess is, like, a pacifist superhero, more or less, and literally is seen just, like, maybe not quite murdering people, but close enough. Like, what, like... And also, let's keep in mind, and I'm not I'm not doing a won't someone please think of the children thing here, but Teen Titans Go is an incredibly popular and well done children's show, which also has a feature length film coming out in the week or two. Um, that is these same characters. This is the same brand. And it just seems incredibly stupid just as a business decision to think of like, oh, we've got all these fans of Teen Titans Go 
Um, and maybe, you know, they're, they're outgrowing the Cartoon Network show. Uh, so let's, you know, let's move them into something a little bit more their speed. Oh, a murder fest worth all, where all their fun, wisecracking, uh, cartoon friends murder dudes and say, fuck Batman. Yeah. Uh, my coworker at work, she, her daughter is a huge DC fan. She's like 14, 15, maybe. Huge Teen Titans fan. Mega Dick Grayson fan. And I sent this to her and I was like, are you going to what? let Lucy watch this? And she was like, oh, this looks really good. And I was like, wait, what? And then your daughter was like, oh, I like the direction they're going. I was like, why? What makes you think out of anybody that Dick Grayson is going to go around murdering people? Yeah. Like if it was Damien, sure. Yes. If it was Jason Todd, who is in this show, by the way, uh, <laughs> like, sure, maybe. That's kind of his arc, right? But like... <laughs> Dick Grayson leaves Batman because Batman's too dark and and an asshole. And also, after we've just seen a movie where Batman straight up murders 25 dudes, and then we're, oh, so, but this Robin is like, that Batman doesn't murder enough dudes for me? I'm too grim and gritty? Like, no. You, what? That Batman's grim and gritty. It would be more interesting if it was like, and maybe these are related and maybe they aren't, I don't care, but like this idea of, because DC has so many Batmans running around in popular consciousness right now, and I see, you know, Edgelord Robin murder a bunch of dudes and say, fuck Batman, which Batman are you rebelling against? Because they all seem right now to be either super grim and edgelordy themselves, or kind of cool like i don't know who what are we talking about what is this who is this for and then i've got starfire in this thing and beast boy and raven's hair looks laughable it's just you these are not characters that you can go grimdark with i don't what are they doing i don't know and you know at it like you said raven looked bad the ages are a place like raven looks like she's 12 robin looks like he's 20 and starfire looks like she's 50 <laughs> And, like, you know, people were, like, freaking out stuff. It's like, it's not that, you know, it's not that she's black. That's fine. The problem is that her costume and her makeup and everything about everything they're putting her in makes her look like a 50-year-old prostitute. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, it just looks it just terrible. Looks bad. It just looks bad. And Beast Boy, once again, if you're going grimdark, like, green guy turns into animals, not exactly the direction yes. you probably want to go. I guess they can't use Cyborg because he's in he's upgraded the big leagues yeah, like he's, he's off being grimdark somewhere else oh god i just i just it was unbelievable that like dc will continue just be like face all the criticism look at it stare read it i'm sure someone must it's, be and just go you know what let's just keep doing the exact same thing except even worse it's, it's like it's almost like this is and then you could say this i think about the entire film output except for uh the cw shows which i think actually care about the characters i just don't feel i feel like past tense cared huh okay well cared but i feel like dc the the people in charge of the film division hate these characters like because they take the, they take the elements of the characters that everyone loves and they throw those away to replace them with aspects of the characters that everyone hates like they don't want to make a superman movie they want to turn Superman into Batman 
so that they can make another Batman movie. They don't want to make a Shazam movie. They turn so they turn Shazam into Spider-Man. Like they it, it just doesn't seem like they like these characters at all. And they don't they don't like the the Teen Titans, so they turn Robin into Kick-Ass. It's it just seems like they're not it, it, why are you making these shows if you don't like these characters? You hate these characters so much that you throw out everything about them to replace them with other qualities. It just seems absurd to me. I I just can't. My only explanation is that one of two things. Either they truly, truly do not, A, care about these characters, and B, care about the fans of these characters. They have no respect for either of those groups of things. And or B, that someone or group of someone's in WB and or DC have some sort of weird stranglehold on this process that just everything that goes through it comes out garbage. I don't I I mean, it would be like if if Marvel said we're going to make a Spider-Man movie. We know how much you all love Spider-Man. We're going to make a Spider-Man movie, except he's 50. Uh, He's incredibly cynical. He never talks. He only ever thinks about himself and he totally hates being Spider-Man. It's like, what? (laughs) That's not that's not what we asked for. No, that's not Spider-Man. You took everything that makes Spider-Man Spider-Man and uh, and threw it away. It's like there's a Simpsons joke about this where Alan Moore was a guest voice and Bart goes to Alan Moore, asks him to, you know, he said he says, oh, you wrote my favorite issues of Radioactive Man. And Radioactive Man or and Alan Moore says, oh, you liked that I made Radioactive Man a heroin addicted jazz singer who's not radioactive. (laughs) And Bart said something like, I just like it when he punches people. But like, that's what DC has done with all of these characters. And I don't I'm not saying you have to be true to the the source material, but they seem to be throwing out the baby with the bathwater to use a tired phrase. Yeah, no, across the board. I just, um, I'm just, I'm just, I would say it's speechless, but I just talked about it for 20 minutes, but I feel, <laughs> I feel speechless. Yeah. I just can't get over. And then to move on to the CW shows, I mean, you watched the Arrow trailer. This is their Arrow's seventh season. Uh, I, from everything I've heard from everyone I know and trust and also the whole entire internet, this last season of CW shows was pretty much regarded as the last straw for a lot of people mm. that across the board, except for the exceptions of Black Lightning, which everyone is saying is pretty good. Um, also not really connected to any of the other shows, at least at this point, uh, is it was garbage that Flash was terrible, that Arrow was terrible, that this is probably the worst season of Arrow we've had so far, that Supergirl has pretty much gone off the rails. Uh, the exception maybe is Legends of Tomorrow, which is just so bonkers where I think the final villain who basically looked like a character from Dark Souls, uh, like demon with horns and wings and a big sword was taken out by a giant like plush Furby stand in thing that they used to something along those lines. And it's like the show is just so bonkers and off the rails that it's basically just like watching Doctor Who with superheroes, Mm. which is fun. Um, Supposedly, I start. I haven't caught up yet, but. Uh, now I will say that the trailer for Arrow looked, uh, you know, decent, but you know, this plotline that, you know, Oliver Queen has come out as Arrow once and for all goes to jail for his crimes and you know, whatever, I guess they are adapting some other deeper green arrow things. I'm not familiar with the longbow hunters. I don't know what those are, but I just think that it's time for these shows to end and or evolve into something else. Yeah. I mean, 
I haven't been following Arrow. I watched that trailer. It didn't certainly didn't make me interested in watching Arrow. No, I mean, there's there's little hints of things where I'm just like, ooh, I kind of like, but they've just made so many wrong turns that sometimes you can't just, you can't recover. And I think that a long time ago, they should have said, you know what, let's just make a, and I think this is actually the route they should go with the Netflix Marvel shows too, is basically just go, you know what, not all these characters can carry mm-hmm. in the Netflix method, a 13 episode season, multiple 13 episode seasons, mind you, or in CW case, 23 episode Oof. seasons. Let's combine them and make, you know, CW's DC and just have it be like one or two shows that just has characters come and go and, you know, more almost like anthology, shorter storylines, arcs like in the comics, you know, things happen and combine some of these things because we're now they've spread them all so thin that it, it just comes across so bad where there is there is some good stuff if you dig deep enough for it. But you can't I mean, it's just tough. I mean, and. I, I don't know. It's disappointing of someone who really hopped on those shows and really liked them and has really just been like completely disappointed by most of what they've done the past at least year, if not longer in other cases. So I don't know. I just think that it's time for, I mean, I, I hear that, I hear that, um, Iron Fist is in the second season, Luke Cage and, and like have somewhat important capacity. And it's like, cool, do yeah, more stuff like that. That's how like, you do it. like make these characters feel in this environment and don't just limit it to one or two of big crossovers a year and, Every once in a while, one calls the other one like it's time to really if you want to do this, commit to it or don't do it. And not a full team up show. Right. But also not a full one character per season thing, because a lot of these characters, you're right. They just can't carry that many episodes. Well, and they've ended up making all the shows into team shows. I mean, Legends is supposed to be a team show. That's fine. Whatever. That's where all the, you know, weirdos go. That's kind of the idea, like constant, constant time. Constantine is joining the show as a series regular, like the Constantine from this canceled CBS show, which is cool. Uh, like he's a fun, magical weirdo. But in Arrow, they have all these other side characters that no one cares about that all are superheroes, quote unquote. And then in Flash, you have like, you know, Vibe, which is fine. But then you've got like Killer Frost and now Plastic Man. And like uh, they have another you've got a whole nother five, six superheroes who are series regulars on one show mm-hmm. where maybe you should just like condense from five. And they're also bringing out a Batgirl show. Or sorry, not Batgirl, Batwoman show. Right. How, how, how silly of us to get confused. Right. Uh, you know, set in Gotham and like the whole thing, although Batman doesn't exist. Right. But uh, oh yeah, so it's the sixth <laughs> Gotham that's on television right now. I know. So it's like maybe instead of having six shows, have two, you know, I don't know, something just it, this isn't working anymore. And DC needs to. I don't know. They're just a complete mess across every single level. And, you know, it sounds like they're really moving ahead with this uh, Joker, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. And all these things are happening. It's just like, ugh, why, 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 yeah. why, why? Yeah, Joaquin, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. And apparently Robert De Niro might be in it now for some reason. <laughs> Who knows? Sure. Why not? Uh, but, like, so let's, let's ask a bigger question here, Greg. Let's stop bashing DC, even though it's our favorite thing to do. Do you think that, sum up the show tonight... Do you think that Comic-Con sort of a, a dying medium? I mean, I think it's easy to look at this year's Comic-Con and feel like it was a little thin. Um, and I think part of that is Marvel has such, been such a big presence at Comic-Con. Um, in the, and we're talking about the film movie side of Comic-Con. I, I understand there's a lot going on in the comic book side and in the collectibles side and in the uh Literature side, there's a lot going on in video games. Also have a piece cosplay. of this. Cosplay. Yeah. Cosplay. All, these All of those things. But speaking more about the TV movie side, 
I do think that the lack of a presence from Marvel, which was half the show for the last 15 years, you know, that is a pres that is a, a absence that is felt. And I think that this year, for obvious reasons, they're laying low. I get it. Um, but I also think that haven't they sort of been it to me, it feels like Disney as a whole is withdrawing from Comic-Con a little bit and focusing more on their own. What's that big media press hubaloo D the DX Disney Expo or whatever. Yeah. Usually it's like every year is D24, D25, whatever. We're like, that seems to be where they really want to announce their big thing. And, and if you and this is a trend that is not contained just to, you know, Comic-Con. Like, if you look at E3, which is the video game equivalent of Comic-Con, it's suffering from the same thing, where, you know, Nintendo is saying, like, we can do our own live stream on our own terms. Like, we don't need to pack up all of our shit and come out to, uh, come out to LA to, you know, have booths and do all this stuff at E3. If we just want to announce our big games for the year, we'll just hold, hold our own live stream whenever the hell we please. Um, and, uh, I think EA is doing a, so has been doing a similar thing where it's just like, why do we have to play by somebody else's schedule and somebody else's venue? And, you know, we can just do our own presentation. Most people are just going to watch the live stream anyway. So who cares? Um, so it makes sense for a company like Disney when they look at Comic Con, they're like, look, if we want to make a big deal, we want to have a big media event to show off all of our new properties. Why don't we do our own thing? And then, you know, then we get all the coverage for those days. And we don't have to fight with what um, DC is doing that day. We, we have no competition. So it makes sense from a business perspective because it's become much easier to do these things. And because, at least in the case of E3, where it used to be that a lot of like business deals would go down at E3. It was a trade show. It was a big conference. But, you know, that's just not the way business is conducted anymore. Comic-Con started out as a way for comic book collectors to get together and buy and sell comic books with each other. <laughs> like, and that's just not how that works anymore. Um, and then it became this chance for, you know, people to show off their big movies. But again, if I'm Marvel, this year being an exception, but like, why not just do my own thing? Why not just have Marvel Expo? someday and we'll we'll put on an event and we'll sell a bunch of tickets to it so we get crowd reaction shots um but we'll just do our own thing so the incentive for the big companies to come out to comic-con is disappearing but i think that there is still some value to me and to smaller creators from comic-con because like for example i i watched a trailer for a cartoon network show it's coming out called infinity train which is an expansion on a short that came out a bunch of years ago and that probably and it looks really cool and I'm, I'm excited for when it comes out but i don't think that would have pinged on my radar if it hadn't been included in larger coverage around comic-con like it's a small thing but now i know about it and that you know gives this thing a chance to you know get in front of more eyeballs um so i don't care if marvel or disney um soon to be the same thing Right. They are the same thing. No, it's Marvel. It's, it's DC and it's Disney and Fox. But like, I don't really care if those guys want to go do their own thing. It's the little guys that I think that getting all of them together and getting a lot of press coverage, it really helps some of the smaller little diamonds in the rough come to the surface. So I hope that that element doesn't get lost. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I guess I feel out of touch with like the, you know, not big stuff just because I don't have time to follow it all. But uh, and those t tend to be what dominant. I, mean, I remember like years ago, five, six, seven years ago, like Comic Con, like 
San Diego Comic Con was like, oh my god, it's Comic Con. Yes, all the cool things. And this year, I was like, oh wait, Comic Con happened. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess I'm partially just getting old. And like I said, personal taste is that's like, oh, DC's got a big exposure this year. Cool. Well, yeah, and the big <laughs> surprises are gone because we know what's in development for all of the major, you know, the major players. We know what DC's slate for the next five years looks like. We know what Marvel's slate for the next five years looks like. Um, and we can kind of predict like. Yep, we're gonna get we're gonna get an Aquaman trailer at Comic Con, and there it is. You know, so there's no big surprises to be had um, the way it used to be. You know, like occasionally you would get some cool surprises, like, and that's because now we know about every movie and every you know every set photo, and we get all the information. So there's no surprises on the big side of things. Again, I feel like it's the smaller things where like. Cartoon Network, again, I come back to Cartoon Network, announced that they're making a full-length uh, Steven Universe movie. That's great for me as a Steven Universe fan, and this is a great place for them to announce something like that um, and, you know, get some coverage for it as opposed to an Aquaman trailer where DC would get just as many YouTube hits if they released that Aquaman trailer three weeks ago than if they released it as Comic-Con. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, if not, maybe even more because... They're not competing for exposure in the sort of online way where, you know, only so many things are trending at one point Mm -hmm. and whatever. So, yeah, interesting. I I mean, I think you're right about the differentiating between the major and the more medium-sized players. So, Well, I guess that's our Comic-Con 2018 rundown. Yeah. Well, this is a long episode. This might be one of our longest. Wow, yeah. We went, wow. This has been a long one. We covered a lot of things, though, so. Yeah. Yeah. Play Play a little catch up. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, all right, buddy. Uh, I guess I have to go and find a way to uh, edit these two hours of audio <laughs> down to something that's palatable. But we're always palatable, Greg. Uh, let's be honest. Sure. All right, buddy. All right. Good Talk night. Talk soon. Later. <laughs>